0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, we want to welcome all those that are gathering with us online this morning, and we are so thankful that you have chosen to join us in your living room or while you're sick at home recovering or while you're on vacation, and we're so thankful for you. This week, we start week two of our study through the book of Daniel, and we're going to be in chapter two, so if you have your Bibles, you can join me there. The question that we have been going after throughout this series is, how do we have courage in a culture of compromise how do we have faith and what is the driver of our faith this is what we have all come to know is that in life in regard to culture either we are a thermometer or we're a thermostat either we are going to set the standards and the expectations of the climate that we are exposed to and that we contribute to, or we're simply going to, to measure it and we're going to ref, reflect it and react to it. And when we are simply just this you know, thermometer, then when the world seems to be going sideways and when things seem to be falling apart, then anxiety rises, fears are dominant. And Jesus says that there's a better way If you're like me, oftentimes in life, you ask the question, I mean, how much longer do we have to wait? How much longer is God going to allow us to experience this chaos and all of this ungodliness? And then I'm reminded of the words of John chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 15, where Jesus, where he is in the garden and his world, I mean, just chaos ensues. Circumstances seem to be spiraling out of control. And yet his thoughts, as always, are with you and with me. So he he says a prayer. And his prayer is this, which may surprise you, but it should give us confidence and comfort today. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but instead that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So in that understanding that you have been placed here with a purpose, with a plan, and with a promise, how do we have courage in a culture of compromise? What is the driver of faithfulness? With that question in mind, Daniel chapter 2 And before we jump in, we're going to pick up in verse 24 and we're going to read through 35. Then we're going to jump into verses 44 and we're going to read through 46. But to offer some context and some understanding, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has had this dream that has absolutely rocked his world. So he has called all of the wise men All of the dream tellers, all of those who have the ability to, in their culture and in their process of thinking, has the ability to tell the future, he has said, listen, I want you to come before me, and so that I know that this is sincere, and so that I know that this is real and authentic, before you interpret my dream, you actually have to tell me the content of my dream. You have to tell me what I dream so that I know that you are telling the truth. And if you can't, then I'm gonna put all of you to death because all of you are worthless, are useless. So Daniel, chapter two, beginning in verse 24. Then Daniel went in to see Ariok whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon, which Daniel was a part of that wise men group. And Daniel said to him, please don't kill the wise men, don't kill me. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. So Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Balthazar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was? And can you tell me what my dream means? And Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers, who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now, I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but it is because God wants you, Nebuchadnezzar, to understand what is in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was frightening, The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet was a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands, and it struck the feet that was made out of iron and clay, smashing them to bits." And the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chafe on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down, it became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Jumping to verse 44 and reading through verse 46. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not only by, not by human hands that crushed the pieces of the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. And the great God was showing the king What will happen in the future? The dream is true, and the meaning it is certain. And then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices of burnt sweet incense before him. There are three questions that we are going to chase after in regard to what we just read. Now, many of you are thinking, only three? Come on. The three questions that we are asking is, what is the meaning of the two names, Daniel and Balthazar? And what is the meaning of the dream? And then lastly, if we have time, what is the meaning of the rock? So let's begin. What is the meaning of the name? Many of us know that Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, it conquered Judah and Jerusalem. It captured them. What we don't know is that prior to 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, he attacked Jerusalem and Judah again, or for the first time. And on the first time of him conquering the city, he took about 10,000 of the professionals, 10,000 of the teachers and the lawyers, 10,000 of the armed and the leaders of that day. He took, in other words, 10,000 of the brightest and the best the cream of the crop, if you will. And he brought them into the city gates, but he gave them permission to live among the people wherever they wanted to. So Judah and Jerusalem, the 10,000, they gathered outside, just outside of the skirts of the city of Babylon. And during this time, that we refer to as the exile, a number of prophets representing what they claim to be God's will and his desire and his instruction, they came forth and they said to the 10,000, do not assimilate into the culture of Babylon. Separate, isolate from them, be set apart from them because if you draw close, then you will become like them. But then Jeremiah, he spoke up. He stood up to the mic and he reveals in verse 29 what is in contrast to the prophet Hananiah's instruction. And Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse four, reading through verse eight, lays out the blueprint that Daniel lived his life by. So Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. "'so that they too may have sons and daughters. "'Increase in number there, do not decrease. "'Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city "'to which I have carried you into exile. "'Pray to the Lord for it, "'because if it prospers you, it will prosper them.'" Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. So the first thing that Jeremiah does, and this would have had to have been earth shattering to all of Israel when they heard these words that were in direct contrast to what Hananiah had prophesied or said. What Jeremiah was saying is that as Followers of God, as followers of Yahweh, you will possess two names. You will be known as a follower of the one true God, but you will live in a culture that does not share your convictions, that does not share your values, that don't understand what drives you, They will not get the hope that you have. They will not get the joy and the contentment that you place. But make no mistake about it, you will have a distinct and specific identity as a God follower, as a disciple, even though you are living amidst brokenness, darkness, what Hananiah was saying was, we have two options on the table. We will either assimilate, we will become like the culture that we live in, that we dwell among, that we, if we expose ourselves to the brokenness, to the darkness, to the compromised culture, to the declining culture, we will inevitably become to reflect that Culture. We will become like that culture. But there's another deal on the table, and this is what Hananiah was saying. We need to isolate. We need to separate from the culture. We need to drive away as far as we can from them. And we need to start our own community of like-minded people who look alike, who think alike, who dress alike, who act alike, who all share the same values. But Jeremiah steps up and says, that is not God's desire, that is not God's will, that is not God's call, his plan that will not fulfill his promise for your life. Instead of isolating instead of separating, instead of assimilating, there, there's another deal that you are to take. And that is to, to infiltrate, to actually intentionally become part of that community. But in becoming part of that community, always recognizing and remembering your specific identity Yes, you will forever live in a culture that you are known by two names. You are known as a Christ follower for us, as a disciple, but we live in a community that don't understand. We live in a culture that is decaying, that is crumbling, that is falling, and yet we are called to be salt and make things better. We are called to be light in a culture of darkness, to make things brighter, to reveal the goodness, the promise, the hope, the love that we as identifiers in Christ Jesus have. Each and every one of us, as disciples that make disciples, as believers in the promise that yes, Jesus is for me. He loves me we have a new identity, and we have a second name. We are redeemed, we are restored, and yes, make no mistake about it, we we are released. So Jeremiah lays out the blueprint that Daniel lives his life by. When I was in Sunday school growing up, we used to sing a song that was called Be Like Daniel. No one really knew what that meant. We thought, well, just be courageous and be bold. But what our Sunday school teachers did not tell us is what was revealed and what we came to understand last week in Daniel chapter one that Daniel chapter two also indicates. When Daniel talks about that there were wise men And there was no wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no fortune teller can reveal the king's secret. What Daniel is revealing about himself is that he underwent a very liberal arts training and instruction. And that Daniel actually become competent in fortune telling, in all the practices of the wise men and we live in a culture and we live in a day and an age in which we are told to stay far away from that, which I agree with. But what do you do with Daniel chapter two when he says, I am skilled in enchanting, in magic and in fortune telling? Daniel never lost his true identity. Daniel never lost his first name, the name that was given to him by God and God Almighty. Daniel never forgot that the purpose that he existed in the world was to actually to live with a love for the city that he was called to from a perspective of a kingdom that he was a part of. Daniel always recognized that my purpose is to be salt, that my purpose is to be light, that my purpose is to be the hand, the feet, the mouth, the words and the actions of God and God alone. Often in life, you and I, we see a world that is compromised. And if any of you are like me and you have young kids, You have conversations in your home. What do do we do? Because our kids are being influenced by a world that we would prefer not give voice or instruction to. So what do we do? How do we have courage in a world of, of compromise? The answer comes in the form of understanding the dream that Daniel was able to interpret. And oftentimes we overcomplicate what the dream was and what the dream was foretelling. Make no mistake about it. The reason that Nebuchadnezzar was freaking out was because he understood what the dream was forecasting. He knew exactly what the dream meant and he was trying at all costs to avoid it. What the dream meant was revealing was what we would refer to as a Babylonian mindset. And the way that we come to understand a Babylonian mindset is that we listen and we learn and we glean from the messaging and the tactics and the story and the lie and the narrative of Satan himself. Because Satan, even beginning in Genesis in the garden, begins to instill and promote and to advocate on behalf of having a Babylonian mindset. Make no mistake about it, a Babylonian mindset or Babylonia, it is not a locality, it is a mentality. It is a mentality that says, Satan, he wants to lie to you and convince you that he has the best in mind for you that he is for you and that he wants only what you want and that he wants only what's best for you. And then he also wants to convince you not to trust God, that God doesn't want what's best for you, that God only wants what's best for him. Genesis chapter 11, verse four, we begin to see this Babylonian mindset revealed. Genesis 11, verse four, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the face of the whole earth. And then Genesis chapter 11, verse nine, that is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world From there, the Lord scattered them among the whole face of the earth. And then Revelation chapter 17, verse five is proclaiming what is to come. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and the admiration of those on earth. And then Isaiah 47, beginning in verse eight. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your own security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, you will lose your children and you will become a widow. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorcerers and your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge misled you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. You see, a Babylonian mindset will instill and promote in you a higher view of self. It will have you puff your chest out and convince you that you are smart enough, that you are witty enough, that you can gain enough influence, that you can get a certain number in your savings account or in your bank account that will instill and promote and secure you in times of trouble or difficulty or when the storms of life approach. You see, a Babylonian mindset will have you build your own kingdom, your own self. It will have you self-indulge. It will have you self-adorn. It'll have you look in the mirror in awe of all that you have accomplished. It will have you focus on the way you look and the way you act and the way that you are perceived in culture apart from the kingdom of God. You see, a Babylonian mindset will actually lower the view of God It will try to convince you that because of what you did or because of what you've done or because of what you did not do, that God cannot accept you, that he cannot love you. It will have you convinced and believing that your past actually forfeits you from God's grace, mercy, and love. It will lower the view of God and you will have you believing and have you convinced that God doesn't stand for you, that he's not with you. It'll have you believing that God wants too much from you, that the cost is too high. So what do we do? How do we combat this Babylonian mindset? Well, we have to adopt a kingdom mindset. And what does a kingdom mindset look like? I will exalt God in all circumstances and in all situations. And regardless of my condition, I will exalt God no matter what. Psalm 145 verse one says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. What that Psalm reveals is no matter what you have going in your life, your responsibility, your call, your privilege, your honor, is to always have a kingdom mindset in all circumstances to exalt God, to acknowledge God. First Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. Why are you so puffed up? What is that about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And in all you have, it is from the Lord. Why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? Everything that we have is a gift from God. We have no reason to boast. The circumstances that you are facing, even though you may not choose them, God has promised that in the exile that he will stand with you, that he will walk you through them, that you do not have to face a storm, an enemy alone alone. In fact, scripture reminds us that he will set a table before our enemies in which we don't have to fear. We don't have to be anxious. Not only do we exalt God, not only do we acknowledge God's sovereignty and his goodness, but we also, we have to humble ourselves. James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What the dream reveals of Nebuchadnezzar is the pride that he had. He was a narcissist. In fact, what we will see next week is that his dream, his desire, was to build a statue, like the statue of liberty in his image so that everyone would know how powerful that he is, so that everyone would know how strong and how majestic he was that it would last for all of ages. You see, what a Babylonian mindset will try to convince you is that your kingdom is the only kingdom. And make no mistake about it, each and every one of us within the sound of my voice, we are all building a kingdom right here, right now. Either you are building your kingdom are you're building their kingdom or you're building his kingdom and if we're going to have a proper perspective and we're going to have courage in a culture of compromise then we always have to be about building the kingdom of god And that comes through praise, through exalting, that comes through acknowledging the goodness and the sovereignty of God and God alone, and that comes through humbling humbling ourselves. So what is the meaning of the rock? Notice that the rock in the story, it is the most inferior of the metals. You have gold, you have silver, you have bronze, and then you, you have this rock, why? The rock represents the kingdom of God. And to our culture, to the world, the kingdom of God always seems weak. It always seems inferior. It always seems poor. But notice the rock, the kingdom of God, it does two things it takes out the weak foundation of everything we are building our false identities on, that we are building our kingdoms upon. It scatters them. It absolutely destroys them. And one day, make no mistake about it, all lies and falsehoods, false idols and misconceptions that we are building our kingdoms on, that we are building our lives upon, one day, The sky will part, the trumpet will sound, and Christ will come, and he will reign, and he will make everything that is broken, everything that is lost, everything that is sad and destructive and evil, he will make all things right, and on that day, the kingdom of God will reign for all of eternity. And that is why the simple rock that is referred to over and over and over as something that man did not create or design, it expands. Once a rock, then moving into a mountain. And what this is indicating is that the kingdom of God, it has come. And the kingdom of God, it is now. But the kingdom of God, it is also not yet. Meaning that we are living in a time in which the prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. And we are fully aware of the brokenness, of the evil, of the darkness, of the desires and the tactics of the enemy. We are personally and intimately aware of how frail the human body is the human mind is, the human condition is. But that is not where we are to place our hope. That is not where we are to place and build our kingdom. Not in a politician, not in the economy, but in Christ and Christ alone. And Christ, when he returns and he will return, he will become an unmovable foundation in which all things on that day will be made right. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord. And that is our hope. And that is our promise. And on that day each and every one of us will stand before a righteous and a holy God and we will have to give an account for how we lived our one and only lives here on earth. And on that day, we will have to confess, have we built your kingdom or have we built our kingdom? Have we found our name and our identity in culture or in you and you alone? Have we assimilated Have we isolated or have we loved our culture with a kingdom perspective to advance your purposes, your plans and your promises alone? And that is the call and the privilege and the honor that each and every one of us possess. So what does this look like? Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, and I promise you, in some way, shape, or form, you are going to be met with the reality that we live in a culture of compromise, that we live in a broken society and a broken system. And in that moment, you are going to have to make a deliberate decision Am I going to be salt and make things better? Or am I going to be light and make things brighter? Or am I going to become like the culture? Am I going to react in the flesh or am I going to respond in the spirit? It is your choice and your choice alone. So as Christ followers, as disciples who are called to make disciples, as a people, as a movement, who are called to be grace and truth, what will you choose when the opportunity presents itself? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, reveal in our hearts and in our lives in this moment the areas of our lives that are not of you, the struggles that we have. And Father, may we praise your goodness May we exalt you as King and as Lord. Father, may we acknowledge that you and you alone have the ability, the authority to place an identity on us and to actually transform our lives. Father, may we in sweet surrender, may we humble ourselves and may we worship face down. Realizing that we cannot stand on our own, but that you stand with us, that you are for us. And Father, in all circumstances and in all conditions, may we advance and build your kingdom and your kingdom alone. We need your help. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close in worship together? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at MountZionWesleyan.com.